Open up your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. We're going into the story of David and Goliath today. Obviously a well-known story. Every pastor has to have at least one sermon a year out of David and Goliath, right? No, that's not a criteria, but it, it, it does happen. But I'm excited. The message that I'm preaching today, uh, I've never preached this message before. And the Lord really laid this on my heart here recently in light of a lot of the events that happened with Officer Nick Hopkins and just some of the things that you know, he stood for. He represented a local hero in our community who gave his life to protect and serve uh, in the fight against evil. And I'm going to mention a little bit more about that in a bit. But this is really something I believe that God is stirring in us as a church that he's, he's calling us, the church, the body of Christ, to really awaken, to step up, and to engage in the fight today of good versus evil. Because it's a fight that is well alive here on our home front, as many of you well know. So let's begin with verses uh, 1 through 11 here. It says, The Philistines gathered together in their armies to battle. They were gathered at Soko which belongs to Judah. Now remember that part, okay? It belongs to Judah. Judah is the nation of Israel, God's people, okay, at this point in time. It says that they encamped between Soko and Asa, which is in Ephes Damia. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, so you can picture that, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and the valley was between them, the valley of Elah. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. Remember that, Gath, that location. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. And then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to the line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Lord, I just ask you now, anoint me today, God, to preach your word. Holy Spirit, speak through me. I can do nothing without you. Lord, we are here for the bread of life that nourishes our soul, and only you can bring that. I pray, God, that you would just use me in the moments ahead. Bring your word forth and that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what it is that you want us to hear and see today. 
of faith that you will provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So obviously we are all aware of this famous story, David and Goliath, one of the favorites of many people, possibly the most known in all of the Bible worldwide. I think one of the reasons that we love this story, that so many of us try to re- can relate to this or that we get excited about this story, is that we see here a true kind of representation of the underdog, right? David is the underdog in this battle against the giant Goliath. And I think in many cases we all love to root for the underdog, right? I mean, if Marcus and I were to get into a fight today, clearly he would be the underdog. (laughs) It's okay if you root for him. I understand. I have the upper hand. But I think that another picture that we absolutely see in this story with David and Goliath is a scene, a story, a pattern, if you will, that has been echoed all throughout history since time began. And that is a pattern of good versus evil. Now I think you'll see that in this story today. You'll probably notice this pattern in many other places in the Bible that basically evil is in a constant attack against the forces of God, the power of God working through His people in our world. It's been that way ever since Satan came on the scene. Now, it's important. I want to try to help you establish some really sound doctrine, some core theology for a moment here. Okay, that the battle in terms of the ultimate battle of good versus evil and the victory is already done Christ has already achieved the victory as far as defeating death in him those who are in Christ have eternal life meaning our place in eternity our hope of what's beyond this world is secure because of the faith that we have in the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's settled. It is important that you know that because we don't live in this world daily threatened or uh, in a, a place of doubt that the enemy can steal that from us, that he can take that from us. Or that am I a child of God, am I not? Or that it's something we constantly have to do good to maintain our right standing. You live differently when you know your eternal condition has been sealed and secured for you. Very important we know that. The battle that I'm talking about today in good versus evil is not for eternity. Jesus has solved that issue The Bible speaks about it. It's real clear how the whole thing is going to go down one day. Jesus is going to come back. Forces of evil are going to mount up. He's going to deal a decisive blow. And all of the enemy and his rebellious spirits are going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever. And those who are in Christ are going to be in heaven for all of eternity with him. This thing is settled. It's done. Nevertheless, in this fallen, broken world that we live in, that we walk in, that the Bible refers to as a vapor. It's a shadow. We're, just, we're here today and gone tomorrow. We're just passing through. In this fallen, broken world, the forces of good and evil are constantly at war. The Bible says that we do not wrestle 
against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness, rulers of darkness of this present age. Take note of that phrase, this present age. There are what are called dispensations of time, eras, if you will, of time. When Jesus returns and He sends that final blow to the enemy once and for all, the eternal age is ushered in. We are now in what many call the church age or the New Testament age, where we are living in a fallen, broken world, and there is an enemy. He's a prince of the power of the air, it says in another place in the Bible, which means he has right now still the ability to roam and afflict havoc on God's people under the celestials on this earth. He's still doing that. But it's important that you realize that the only way he can oppress God's people, God's children, is by way of deception. Because he cannot be victorious over God's people who stand in the fullness of the promise and authority that they have in Jesus Christ. His only way of afflicting God's people and oppressing them is by way of deception. Causing them not to know who they really are and not to know what they really have. When a believer knows who they are, they know the promises of God, they know what the Word says, and they stand in faith on that, the enemy must take a knee every time in our lives when we evoke that authority. But when he's ruling, roaming, moving around the earth, he's trying to bring havoc. He says he, he roams around to steal, kill, and destroy. And here is the hard reality that we all have to come to grips with. That there is evil out there. And that we are called to do something about it. And I think what really inspired me so much about Officer Nick Hopkins, you know, and him laying down his life, paying the ultimate price to protect and serve his community, people that he loved, people he never met, that he loved and cared for. I was listening to the funeral service on Fox 2, nationally televised. Some of you probably saw it. If you haven't, you should go back and watch it. I believe it's still up on their Facebook page. It was tremendous. But there was a speaker who was talking about Nick. And he said one of the things about Nick that he admired most was that Nick absolutely refused to give up one inch to the darkness. He refused to to give up one inch to the evil that is on our doorstep. Wow. Does this not call to our hearts today? You see, Goliath, he's, he's the champion of the Philistines. He is the enemy's hero. <laughs> he represents all that evil stands for. And what has he done? He's come with the armies of the Philistines, and he is encamped in this area of South County that is right by this territory. It says that it belongs to who? Judah. Do you get that? The, the people of Israel are standing here looking at territory, looking at ground 
that's theirs by rightful inheritance. It belongs to them. They, don't, they already know that. God's already revealed that to them. They've already heard from the Lord on this thing. But the enemy has come to their doorstep and he has set up camp. And he's coming out every day, 40 days. It says he comes out in the morning and he comes out again in the evening and he taunts God's people and he intimidates them. And make no mistake about it, in this story, the children of God have lost hope, have lost faith, and evil right now has the upper hand. It is intimidating God's people and they are refraining from advancing on the ground that is rightfully theirs this is how evil works comes to our doorstep it tries to intimidate us it tries to make us think we are incapable of winning a victory so we cower back and then we just kind of hold some ground we get in maintenance mode we just want to kind of protect but lord forbid that we would ever advance and step out and go deal with that enemy and go fight that enemy in that ground that he has now taken that really should be ours. But if we are going to see God move in our nation, in our communities, hear me, brothers and sisters, church, we are called to rise up and take a stand against the advancing evil in our nation and in our generation. If we sit back and we watch the enemy move, it's only a matter of time for gradually and more and more he begins to take more ground. And this is where Israel finds themselves. But David, little David, he comes along. And we see a hero emerge in this story who is going to take down the giant. And I want to show you today some qualities of the hero. Because it is my belief that when we examine this, that we will see, according to what God wants to do in and through every single one of us, that the capacity to be a hero, if you will, in our generation is in every single one of us. And I believe God is calling to that place in you today, saying, will you rise up? Will you be one who stands up in the face of evil and says you will not advance? I believe it was Edmund Burke who said the only thing necessary for, for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. We've been given the light, Him. And He's calling us to take that light into a dark world. When light hits darkness, darkness flees. Darkness is just simply the absence of light. You've probably heard that before. You flip on the light switch, no more darkness. What is God saying? He's saying, I've put the light in you. If you don't let it shine, darkness will continue to grow. But if you will let that light shine before men, then the darkness will have to flee and its efforts to advance in your world, to take ground and occupy territory that's rightfully God's people's will be eradicated out of our situation, out of our communities, and the light will shine in our world the way it's meant to be. But we as believers have to take up our place, our authority, in order to bring that into this hurting and broken world. But the enemy, he knows 
that if he can intimidate us, if he can make evil seem so scary, so terrifying, that God's people begin to lose hope, begin to shiver, and begin to sort of pull back and just try to stay safe in protective mode and not advance on the evil that's coming at our doorstep, that he will continue to gain ground in our generation. He knows that. And Goliath represents everything that evil stands for. He is the champion of the enemy. It says that he's over six cubits tall. Now, most experts agree that six cubits is around 18 inches. He's six cubits in a span, or that a cubit is about 18 inches. And he's six cubits in a span, which means he's roughly nine foot nine inches tall. Just under 10 feet. In fact, John, would you come up here for a second for, with me? This is a 10 foot two by six. You got that? John, just kind of go close to this real quick here. That's about how tall the dude is. That's pretty intimidating. Now, Dustin, would you come up here for a second? And let's see, give me one more person. Jeff, would you come up here for a second? So I got three strong guys. I'm going to just take a shot in the dark. I'm estimating each one of them about 200 pounds. Sorry if I just offended you. I didn't, okay. <laughs> Very nice, lean 200. All right, you guys kind of all get close like in a group and hold that board up just together. Like, so, we're, so Goliath, based on him being about 9 foot 9 inches tall, he's at least 600 pounds. There's 600 pounds of men man up here that's how much goliath weighs if not more it says that his armor 200 shekels depending on how heavy a shekel was his armor was somewhere between 125 pounds and 200 pounds the tip of his spear picture that carrying the spear around you know sailing that thing in the air the tip of his spear a weaver's beam 15 to 25 pounds this is the enemy's champion. And the point of this is, if we are looking at the enemy and observing and surveying him and the fight under natural circumstances, then we will always find ourselves faint of heart. Because what God is calling you to do, remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we don't fight the natural part. We are fighting the fight of faith. So in order to win the victory for God, we cannot use natural means. I mean, if I represent David, probably a good estimation. David was a smaller guy. He was a man of youth, very good looking. Okay, all those. Th I'm just saying. Just trying to make the demonstration accurate, okay? I mean, if that's the deal, i got to beat this guy, I'm terrified. I mean, what are my odds here, really? But see, David, thank you very much, guys. We can put that back. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> 600 pounds a man. But David, he represents the hero, I believe that God is calling to in each and every one of us. Because something arises in David. 
He comes down. The Bible says that his, his father, Jesse, said, hey, take some food and some supplies. Go down to the battlefield where his older brothers, I think his three older brothers were in the army. Go down, bring the food and the supplies to them. Uh, and so David goes down there. He gets to the place and he hears about Goliath. And he hears about how he's coming out every day intimidating the people of God. He specifically says, I defy the armies of God. And you know what David says? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? Something of a holy aggression and anger rises up in him. I assure you, it has nothing to do with the fact that he thinks he's so big and so strong and so prepared for war that he'll go out and challenge any man in a physical fight. He's not thinking along those lines. He's thinking along the lines that God has already said that he will deal with our enemies. And that ground that you guys are all afraid to go over to, that's our land. God said it was our land, and God said he'll deliver us. I'm standing on what God has already said today. And because the word was alive in him, it produced a faith and aggression where he was ready to go and deal with the evil that was at their doorstep head on. And his brothers were like, you know, you're just trying to get glory. You're just trying to be famous, you know. You're just, you're just down here to see the battle and get attention. But I don't think that had anything to do with David's motive whatsoever. reason I say that is because David, not so long ago, had already been anointed to be king. While Saul is still king. Remind you, Saul is afraid to go to battle. It says that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. We'll touch on that in a minute. But Saul himself is afraid to go into battle. And David comes down. He's already been anointed to be king. Samuel the prophet came along and anointed him with oil. I mean, that's as sure of a bet as you can have right there. The prophet anointed him with oil said, he's going to be king. Baby, he's going to be king. This is a done deal. But David, if he's, if he's really worried about himself, if he's really after his own fame and his own glory, don't you think he'd have been throwing that thing out a long time ago? I mean, he'd have probably already been taking selfies, you know, with Samuel, posting it on Facebook and Instagram. David with Samuel the prophet, little emoji, feeling anointed, you know, going to be king, location in the throne, to be I mean, he had probably been throwing all that around. He never even mentions that. His whole driving force is this guy is defying our God. And everything that he stands for is against what God says that we have. He has a pure heart and pure intentions. If we are going to rise up and be heroes in our generation, listen, we have to be concerned about God getting the victory. We cannot be concerned about our own promotion advancing our own resume, our own agenda, making sure the right people are at the right place at the right time to see us do what we go do so we get credit for it. That is not the heart of a hero. It's not the heart of David. And if our heart is pure to see God get the glory, to see His will, to see good advanced in our land, let me tell you something, God will use that heart every single time. And David comes down and it says that Saul hears that David is 
ready to fight. So Saul finally says, okay, fair enough. I'm going to let you go. But how are you going to do this? There's no way you're going to be able to do this. And David says, no, you don't understand. I've already killed a lion and I've already killed a bear. He says that whenever it had the sheep in his mouth, when David was protecting him, he says he grabbed the beard, the hair of the face of the beast and pulled it down. You don't do that in the natural. You don't do that if you're not empowered by a courage and a strength of a protector that's from above this world. David knew his protection, his refuge, his safety was in the creator of heaven and earth and nothing of this world. He grabbed that beast by the beard and yanked him down. David said, I've killed the lion and I've killed the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine is going down too. I paraphrase it, but that's about how he said it. What's the point of that? David was prepared. In fact, I, I sometimes use the, the phrase, he was predisposed in this moment because he had already been walking closely with God. I mean, his relationship with the Lord is one of the most well-known for intimacy. He's the author of most of the Psalms and his worship and his heart before God was just so uh, evident in the Scriptures. And so David had been spending this time preparing and didn't even really realize it. And I've thought sometimes like, man, if I was there that day, if I was David and I saw that Philistine, I don't know. I mean, I want to believe that I would go out there but I don't know. I mean, that dude is intimidating, you know? But then I think, if I was in the place that David was, if God had been my refuge, I'd been with him every day out in those hill country, working out as a shepherd, praising God, ministering to him, just having this close, intimate relationship, killing a lion, killing a bear, knowing that God did it for me. If that's where I was when this moment occurred, where you were, can I suggest maybe we would have been prepared and ready to go out there too? I don't know, but I do know this. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the scriptures are all given by inspiration of God. And they're profitable for us that the man of God would be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work that God would call us to. That speaks to being prepared, fitted with the right armor and ready in the moment when the battle comes. The word of God at work every day in your life is preparing you for all of your future battles. Nothing can replace that. And if you pull out from under that, that will leave you ill-prepared, perhaps, in your time of need. The Word of God is necessary, that it is always at work in our lives, preparing us, fitting us, and equipping us, that when those moments come, when a giant or evil is at our doorstep, that we are prepared to respond from a place of faith. Not because we are great, but because the work that God has been doing on the inside of us has been strengthening our spirit, man, and preparing us to fight the fight of faith against evil in the day that we come to it. Amen. Folks, listen. We are all called to bring the countermeasure to evil in our day. This is not a spectator sport. We don't come into the kingdom, into the body of Christ, and go take a seat on the bench. It doesn't work this way. I'm real sorry 
if that's if you're just now finding that out okay but it doesn't work that way we are all called to engage in this battle to get in the fight against evil and do something about it and David rises up and so Saul comes and says okay fine I'm gonna give you my armor and my weapons so he puts all David's puts all his stuff on David you know, doctors him up, he's got this armor, he's got this sword, and David tries to move around in this thing, and it's not working. He's all restricted, he's not mobile, he's not agile like he needs to be, and so he sheds the armor off. He says, I'm not, I'm not wearing that armor, thank you, but no thank you. He goes over, takes his pouch, gets down in the brook, picks up five stones, Ten-foot giant, spear with a weaver's beam, 600 pounds. He picks up five stones, puts them in his pouch, gets his sling. You see, David recognized something very important that we all need to learn and understand. That if he was going to go out and fight evil, fight the enemy, and win a victory, he was never going to do it if he was wearing somebody else's armor. He was never going to be victorious if he tried to be somebody else instead of who he was. Listen, it's one of the most beautiful things in all the scriptures that I've come to the conclusion and discovered, and I believe that you would too, or already have, that God has made each and every one of us uniquely, and that he's gifted us uniquely. No one else is wired to fulfill your destiny. Only you are. And if you allow God to use you, who you are, secure, and who Christ has made you to be, and he will bring victories in your life that no one else can win for you. But if you try to go out to battle and try to be the other person, try to look like somebody else, try to compare yourself to somebody else and you want to be them and you're not happy with who you are, there is a, an insecure sense of identity that you can never operate from a place of strength from. You need to know that God has created you uniquely and all you have to do is be you. And David knows that. So he picks up the stones. He's going to go with what he knows. I mean, he's been slinging this thing. He's probably got trophies all over his wall back at home. Slinging those stones out in the wilderness of the hill country, protecting those sheep. His moments here, he picks up those stones. You know the story. He starts slinging that thing he lets it fly. The stone lodges itself. It says it sinks deep into his forehead, probably inches back into his skull. And the enemy comes crashing down. But David does something after that. Goliath is laying on the ground, bloody, probably unconscious. And David runs over to the scene right here where he's fighting this enemy. He takes his sword and he cuts off his head. He finishes him once and for all. And I think many times we make the mistake of doing battle, doing a little blow against an enemy in our lives, against darkness that's coming at us, but we never finish the job. We never cut the head of the thing off. We need to uproot and finish that evil that's trying to advance against us once and for all. Let me tell you something. 
If he hadn't have done that, there's a really good chance Goliath would have regained his strength and he would have lived to fight them another day. In fact, there's a good chance that the children and the grandchildren would have had to fight that enemy in their future. And I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Do not place the responsibility of killing an enemy upon your future lineage when the responsibility really lies with you. Cut that thing off now so that your children and your grandchildren and future generations never have to fight that enemy. You have the authority to do that. And David finished the job. Amen? Amen. So he cuts off the head. We know that whole story. And then listen to this. It says that later after this happened, right after he's down, that all of a sudden, remember all those Israelites that were scared and, and nervous and afraid, wouldn't advance? Guess what they all start doing after David finishes the giant? All of a sudden, they rise up, and they start running, and they start killing off the Philistines, slaughtering them, actually, and taking their enemies down. Where were they? Where were they? What happened? When did this change? It changed when one man got a hold of who he really was and who God really was and stood up for that, and he brought evil down. And then those men that were afraid, were concerned, that were in doubt, all of a sudden were renewed in their strength, were inspired in their faith, and they mounted up and they began to go and take the fight to the enemy with a new level of aggression. You see, great leaders and heroes, they're going to raise up generations of warriors in the future as well. It doesn't stop with us. We are called to raise them up to fight in future generations. It says that this has always blown me away. Remember Goliath from Gath. So Goliath was a descendant of somebody named Anak, Anak, A-N-A-K. And the descendants of Anak were known as the Anakim. Now if you go all the way back in the Genesis, you'll discover that when Joshua is beginning to lead the people into the conquest of the promised land, that the Anakim were in the hill country. And they were giants. In fact, these were the people when Moses sent out spies that they were so afraid of and came back saying, we can't defeat these guys. And Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. Well, when they came into that country, Joshua leading the campaign, it says that they ran the Anakim out of the hill country. Do you know where they ended up going? They went to several places. One of the cities that they went to was Gath. And, and Goliath was a direct descendant of the Anakim, which were the giants in that land. And he was from Gath. So David finishes Goliath. If you fast forward, again, I'm speaking about raising up future generations of people who will fight evil and advance God's cause in future generations to come. When David was toward the end of his life, in 2 Samuel chapters 21 and 23, if you read that, you find some very interesting things. David had these guys called mighty men, which were his warriors, or 30-something of them. Four of them, it says, went on to slay other descendants of Anak. Four more giants fell, not by David's hand, 
but by the hands of his mighty men. One of those four giants was the brother of Goliath. And then it went on to say that all of his mighty men did these huge accomplishments. One man killed 300 Philistines in one battle, single-handedly. This dude named Beniah, he's one of my favorites. Beniah, it says, went into a pit where there was a lion, and he pursued the lion in a pit on a snowy day and killed the lion in his own pit. You see, David taught these men not how to just stand back and wait until evil comes, but pursue evil and take the fight to the enemy and not allow the evil to advance against them and to bring it down. And these men were trained in it, they learned it from him, and they were walking in that. Benaiah, it says, took a fight to an Egyptian man, a giant Egyptian man who had a spear with, guess what, a weaver's beam. And he wrestled the spear away from the Egyptian and killed him with his own spear. Benaiah, one of David's mighty men. The whole point in all of that, folks, is that we are called not just to come and bring the fight to evil in our generation, but to raise up a future generation of warriors for God who will know how to fight, who will know how to be who they are, and will be ready and prepared in the future battles that are to come. We must not leave them ill-equipped. We are called now to do something about advancing evil in our generation. We must accept the call. The Bible says that, we, that men have been pre-appointed by God their boundaries and their dwelling places. Which means it is no mistake that you live in the generation that you live in right now. Here and now. We are called to do something in this moment, in this day, and in this age. And if we will rise up, we will see God's plan advance we'll see the kingdom advance and the evil that we despise that we hear about every day in our media on the news and all these things that are happening around the world we'll see you know what i can do something about that i can rise up and be who god's calling me to be and i can see god push darkness back out of our land and away from our communities so that His light is what is shining and darkness is fleeing. Amen? Amen. Last thing I'll say is this. It says when David, if you go backwards, when Samuel anointed him, it says that when he anointed David, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. This, to me, is the most important part of the whole thing. The Spirit of God was with David every step of the way. It says the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and Saul could no longer fight those battles. He was scared. He didn't know who he was. He wasn't able to go and advance the cause of good anymore. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and he stayed with David and he fought under divine influence and empowerment not in his own strength and we have been given God's spirit as children of God 
the Holy Spirit comes to actually live on the inside of us through the finishing work of Christ. And when he does, we are empowered with the strength, the Spirit of God who will never leave us or forsake us and is absolutely a requirement, a necessity for us to fulfill the call and the work that God has put on our lives. The calling of God, it says in 2 Timothy that it's a holy calling that he has given to us by his grace and purpose, which began before time. So God is this supernatural calling that he's put on our lives, but it's impossible to walk that out in anything natural. We have to have the Spirit of God on the inside of us, strengthening us and empowering us in order to walk out those things that he's leading us into. And if we will pursue that, to take the fight against evil because God's mandated us with that and go toward the enemy, not run from him. It says David went toward the Philistine. He didn't wait. He didn't hang back. It says he went toward the stronghold. He went toward the enemy. He went after him. He was not going to sit back and let him advance anymore. He was not going to give up any more ground to the darkness. He refused to let it happen. And he moved forward and he said, let God be glorified this day. All of the people will know that God is the God of Israel. And if we will make God famous in our land, if our heart will be to let him be known, his goodness shine before men, then God will use us and elevate us to a place where we will accomplish great victories for him and he will get the glory. The last thing that it says when this chapter ends with David and Saul, Saul says, who was it? Who was it that won the victory? And they said, well, we'll bring him to you. So they bring David and he comes up to Saul and Saul says, who are you? This is so awesome. He says, who are you? Now remember, he doesn't say, I'm the future king. He doesn't say, I'm going to take your place. I'm next in line. I'm anointed by God to be the king. He doesn't say any of that. Verse 58 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. He says, who are you, young man? He says, I am David, the son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite. I'm just me. I'm just me. I'm just David. I'm just the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. He's humble. He knows who he is. He knows where he came from. And he knows who just won the victory through him. He's not clouded or deceived in any way about this. He knows that God has just delivered them from their enemies this day. And he will ensure that God is the one who is made famous. He's just a humble man. And we must as well remain humble and know that it's according to the power that works in us that all great things that we accomplish for God will come to pass and not by our own strength. It says in our weakness, actually, his strength is made.